turn to page 972 in your pew Bibles, also known as Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Growing up in the church, I quickly discovered that asking questions was not a, was not a safe thing to do. The church was the place where you come with surety that this is true and you are never waffling or wavering or you have you, doubts are, are not allowed here. This is who we are. This is what we believe. No questions allowed here. And that made life tenuous for me at times. But I'm not the only one. I think that it's not always safe to admit in places like this that we wonder whether or not Christianity, this thing that we call the Christian life, is actually all true. Or whether it's kind of made up a human invention to kind of make our, our souls and our lives feel a little bit nicer. I thought about this when I read the story of a woman named uh, Frederica, Matthews Green. And she, at, at an early age, had a really strong faith. And she wanted to go into the ministry when, when she was growing up in the faith. But when she turned 12 or 13, she had a crisis of faith. And she wrote this. When I was 12 or 13, I began to doubt the entire Christian story. I felt almost as if I had somebody tried to cheat me. They had fed me this long, complex story about virgin birth, born in a manger, died on a cross, came back to life. It just sounded so preposterous to me. I thought that it was something that was no, that no normal person, sane person, could be expected to believe and I had been made a fool. So Frederica began to consider atheism, agnosticism, and various other religions. She was really sure that she wanted to reject Christianity, but she didn't really know what to believe. She eventually chose Hinduism. Because it seemed like the most intriguing and colorful of all the different world religions. In some ways, I can relate with this. Because I, I too had a really strong faith as a kid. And I remember also in that my faith journey kind of reaching this point where I began to ask, is this real? Is this real? Has, okay, am I the only one here has asked that question, is this real? Okay, good, good, thank you. Because there, there's points where I just go, is this real? Do, do I just believe this because it's been handed down to me from my parents? It's kind of a, a genetic thing, you know? You're Dutch, so you're, you're automatically reformed, so you automatically believe these things. Do you, it's just passed down from generation to generation. And have I been a sucker in this whole Christian religion kind of thing? 
And you quickly discover that there are lots of people out there in this world who want to help you disbelieve Christianity. Ricky Gervais, a comedian, wrote this. I used to believe in God. The Christian one, that is. I love Jesus. He was my hero. But later on, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my, when my brother came home. I was happily drawing my, my hero Jesus when my big brother Bob asked, Why do you believe in God? Just a simple question. But my mom panicked. Bob, she said in a tone that I knew, it, that I knew meant, shut up. Why was this a bad thing to ask? If there was a God and my faith was strong, it didn't matter what people said. Oh, hang on. There is no God. My brother Bob knows it, and my mom knows it deep down. It was as simple as that. I started thinking about it and asking more questions, and within an hour, I was an atheist. Is this whole thing a human invention? That's the question we have to wrestle with. Because if it is a human invention, we are all wasting our time this morning and we should be eating cinnamon, hot cinnamon rolls, getting out of bed later, watching football all morning long in our sweatpants. That's what we should be doing. But if it isn't, a human invention, and it's actually true, then everything changes. Everything changes. In fact, that is the very question that we are going to be dealing with this morning in Galatians chapter 1. The question of the passage this morning is quite simple. Where did Christianity come from, and is it a human invention? So would you stand Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 10, reading through verse 24. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were, were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was it heard of my, nor was heard of my formal life in, uh, nor was it, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my, of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gospels. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. 
Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I want to tell you a little bit about this passage, what's behind this passage. Paul is, is writing to the church in the Asian, Asia, area of Asia known as southern Turkey. It's known as Galatia. And he had visited their area in south central uh, Turkey. And he told these people about Jesus Christ. In particular, particular, he told them about this Jesus Christ who came in flesh, who died in the place of sinners, who rose again so that they could become a part of God's people, the family of God. And this was a radical message. You didn't have to be one of Abraham's descendants to be included. Jesus opened up the superhighway for everyone to be a part of his family who received him by faith, who believed this gospel message. You can be a part of this family. But Paul was no longer on, on the scene anymore. He had gone on and preached the gospel in other places where Christ had not yet been named, And in his absence, other teachers had come in and they were saying something like this. We're well connected with the church. We got an inside line and we need to tell you that Paul did not give you the whole story. He gave you the 099 level. Let us give you the real story, the more full gospel. We need to tell you that Paul is missing some pieces. He's given you the gospel, but a cheap version of the gospel. Gentiles can become a part of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, he got it up to that point, but you still have got to obey the entire law of Moses. And all of a sudden, you have two competing versions of the gospel. The problem with the two competing versions of the gospel is that now you are in the realm of human opinion. We're then left with thinking that we've got to believe something that's really kind of subjective. Is Paul right? I don't know. What do you think? And all of a sudden, what happens with a, what do you think? I don't know. I think this. What do you think? And all of a sudden, it becomes a mess. And nobody knows what to believe anymore. If Christianity is something subjective, then pretty soon, we're left wondering whose version of Christianity is real? Whose 
Paul's version of Christianity is right. Listen, here's the deal. This morning you are sitting here in Missio Dei Church. You have all kinds of independent churches all around us. All kinds of other denominations as well as ours here in the Lincoln Way area. You have Church of God in Christ. You have Southern Baptists. You have Nazarenes. You have Methodists. You have United Church of Christ. You have Assemblies of God. You have a Federated Church. You have all kinds of different flavors of Lutheran. And you even have within the Lincoln Way area, you have a Christian Reformed Church. And those are only the Protestant denominations. You also have in New Lenox an Orthodox church. You also have Roman Catholic churches in the area. And you also have in this area other religions. You have Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. And you also have atheism, agnosticism, and not to mention the custom-made, tailor-fit, whatever-you-want-to-believe kind of religion. You create it, it's yours. Who says that we are right? And I don't think we have to feel guilty about asking these questions. These are the very questions that we, the church, should be asking. The good news is that Paul is going to help us kind of sort out all these things. He's going to tell us three things about Christianity this morning. First thing he is going to tell us is that it's not a matter of human opinion. Later on, we're going to see him say it it didn't originate from any human source. And lastly, he's going to help us understand why there are so many churches out there, despite the fact that there's only one gospel. I've always wondered that, right? So let's let's start off. The first thing that Paul points out is that the gospel is not a matter of human opinion. And this is important. If If we don't understand what Paul says here, if we don't have any confidence in the gospel, we're in trouble. Because we start have to ask the question, well, which gospel? Which gospel should I be, have confidence in? Who knows whether or not Paul is right, or maybe his opponents are right. Maybe we, as a, as a Protestant denomination, maybe we've, we've missed it. Maybe circumcision should be something that we practice. And every man goes, dear Jesus, no. Let's be right on this one. Who says that the gospel that we preach is right? And Paul helps us get get past these problems because the first thing that he tells us here is that the gospel is not a matter of human opinion. It's not a a debate between different scholars and different denominations. Look at verse 10 with me, would you? For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. There's some important lessons right there in that verse. When it comes to the gospel, how much does human approval matter? Paul tells us it doesn't matter. Human approval doesn't count for zip, zero, nada, zilch, none. Paul is countering the charge that he is preaching a gospel that's catered to a certain audience. 
And Paul defends himself by saying, you can't cater the gospel to a particular audience without losing the gospel entirely. We learned that last week, right? So what I preach to you this morning should be the exact same message that I preach to an African-American congregation, to people who are struggling with sexual identity questions in their lives. It should be the exact same gospel, and I am not catering it to them at all. Or else what happens? I lose the gospel entirely. We have got to face a choice. Please, God, by sticking with the gospel... Stick to it or displease God by tweaking the gospel. You can't do both. Paul is saying that human opinion does not even factor into the gospel that he's preaching because his concern is fidelity, faithfulness, faithfulness to what God has revealed to him. Human opinion about whether or not people like the gospel doesn't even enter into his equation. Look at what he says in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not what? Man's gospel. Paul says that the gospel is not a matter of human opinion. The gospel did not come from anyone's opinion, including Paul's opinion. You could translate the last part of verse 11 to say, the gospel I preached is not of human origin. Literally, it's not from flesh and blood. It's not from you and me. It's not from the theologians or the scholars or the church people. It's other. Jesus once said to Peter, his disciple, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Paul is saying that the gospel is not a matter of human opinion because it doesn't come from any human being. What's more, human opinion doesn't factor into it because you can't please God if you are concerned with tweaking the gospel to please other people. C.S. Lewis said it well. Christianity must be from God. For who else can, could have thought it up? And here's what it means. You don't get to vote on what the gospel is. Because the gospel doesn't originate from you. We don't get to vote. We don't get a say in what the gospel is. The gospel is not something that changes according to popularity votes, poll numbers. The gospel is not a matter of human origination. But he takes it to the next piece. The gospel comes from God himself, not from a human source. And we've already seen Paul kind of hint at that. If Paul says he didn't get it from the get the gospel from any human source, where in the world did he get it? If it didn't come from church councils, church creeds, secret meetings, or key leaders of the church, 
How does Paul even know what the gospel is? Look at verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is shocking news. Paul was not somebody who was going, going along trying to figure it out. He was, there weren't scrolls out there that had the, you know, the latest systematic theology or maybe a little booklet about what is the gospel. Paul wasn't sitting down being discipled by all, all the apostles in the faith who had walked around with Jesus for three years and being discipled. He hadn't done any of that stuff. On the contrary, verses 13 and 14 detail his life before he encountered Jesus. Paul was determined to wipe out this thing called Christianity. He he hated the gospel. He wanted to eradicate the church. He was young and he was a rising star in Judaism and had absolutely no interest whatsoever in the gospel. His job was to clear it out of the pages of history. Make it only a blip on the screen. But something happened. According to verses 14 and 15, 15 and 16, it it wasn't some some sort of fluke or coincidence that happened to, to Paul. It happened because God intended for it to happen before Paul was even born. I love that. It doesn't matter. It wasn't a matter of Paul's doing. Paul going, oh, well, that, that logically makes sense. No, it was completely because God took initiative. And by the way, just a reminder, that's how it always works. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not because of you just, oh, well, that makes logical sense, or oh, because of my family line, or oh, uh, that, that message was warm and stirring. No, it was because God took initiative in your life. He broke into your darkness and shone his glorious light into your life. That's how God always works. If you respond to, to the gospel and you put your faith in Christ, It's not a result of some fluke or consequence or some eloquent speaker. God set you apart before you were even born. He took initiative. But then Paul tells us where he got his understanding of the gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. But when he set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Acts chapter nine. You want the full story? Read Acts chapter nine. Paul was on his way to, do you remember? Jim? Damascus. He was on his way to the Damascus Road experience for Paul when all of a sudden Jesus appeared to him. It wasn't a vision. It was like, oh, and you get the angel voices and the, the clouds, you know, 
cumulonimbus clouds kind of parted way and there was Jesus standing up there in, in white and a little blue sash. That wasn't how it worked. Jesus physically appeared to Paul. And Paul saw the risen Christ on the Damascus road and the gospel in all of its glory and beauty was disclosed to Paul. Paul had this magnificent personal face-to-face real life experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul didn't get this message secondhand or thirdhand. He received this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the source himself, from Christ. You can sit around and wonder, what, what do you think about what the gospel really is? And you can have all these discussions. And Paul says, listen, stop your discussions. When Jesus stopped me in my tracks and changed my directions, the direction of my life and my ministry, this is how Jesus explained it to me. It stops all other discussions, right? I heard it firsthand from Jesus himself. It kills the debate. Paul's opponents were questioning whether or not Paul had the gospel right. And Paul could say that he got it from Jesus himself. I went to the source. Actually, the source came to me. And he gave it to me. The gospel really doesn't matter what we think. Why? Because Paul got the gospel directly from God. Directly from Jesus Christ himself. Not any other human source. Not only that, but God appointed Paul to preach that gospel message. So Paul was acting as a messenger on behalf of the originator of the gospel. Listen, I got a direct line, a direct connection. So when we hear the gospel from Paul, when you hear, think about this, when you hear this gospel right here from Galatians, you're hearing it from someone appointed by God to proclaim this message. And we can have confidence that what Paul says about the gospel is a message from God himself. So think about the confidence that this gives you. I think about this in my place, what confidence this gives me. We we come not to hear what what I think about the gospel, right? You, You don't come to say, well, so what was Paul's thoughts? Paul got it right. Who cares what I think the gospel is? We come to open up the word of God together. To read the words of someone who got the message firsthand directly from Jesus Christ himself. That's why we're here. It's not some subjective kind of judgment of what you or I think It's about our common salvation, the faith that was once handed down, delivered to all the saints. That's Jude 1.3. It's a gospel that comes directly from God himself. So you might be thinking, well, Paul, that's great. That's wonderful. That's good news. We should have confidence in this. 
But how do we account for all the different denominations, all the different views, all the different things that are going on out there who are under this umbrella of Christianity and particularly even under this umbrella of Protestantism? Why are there so many different brands out there? You want me to have confidence, but still it feels like a shotgun approach. Nobody seems to really be all on target. It's like, and it's a splatter. If there's one gospel, why are there so many different churches and so many different approaches? That's a great question. One that I think the rest of this addresses. I need to unpack this a little bit before we kind of get to the end of the passage, though. What Paul says in this last and third point is that the church doesn't create the gospel. The church is created by the gospel. Remember, that's, that's Paul's opponent, what they were saying that Paul got the message wrong here. Part of their argument seemed to have been that they were well connected with the Jerusalem church, so they had the official version, right? It's kind of like it's, it's come down from the Vatican and we've received this message through creeds and confessions and all this, so we've got the verified official version of the gospel message. This is the authorized version of the gospel, Paul. You're missing it. And Paul actually makes a counter-argument in this section. You'd think that he would, he would argue that his version is especially sanctioned by the most important people in the church. Listen, guys, don't, don't argue with me. I, I went straight to Peter, Paul, John, even Jesus' brother. I, I, I went to the top. Instead, what does he do? He makes a completely different argument. He says that he's only had limited connection with those apostles. It's not like his gospel contradicts theirs. They know him and they've compared notes. It's just that Paul didn't get the gospel from them. It wasn't from them at all. They're great guys, don't get me wrong. But I didn't get it from them. He got the gospel directly from Jesus and it lines up with their gospel. It just so happens to line up with their gospel as well. So in verses 18 to 20, he says that he, he's relatively unknown by the apostles. He, he has spent very little time with these guys. And in verse 21 to 24, he says that he's relatively known even to the church in Judea. I'm an unknown guy. They know him only by report, word on the street. In other words, Paul's credentials don't come, don't come because they've been approved by an official body in Jerusalem. My credentials don't come from Jerusalem. His credentials come from God himself. The church didn't create the message that Paul is preaching. <clears throat> In fact, the church didn't create the gospel. The gospel creates the church. Right? Think about it. Mm -hmm. Jesus saves you. 
His blood was spilt to redeem you. And what happens? That gospel message incorporates you and you and you and you. The gospel is doing this. The gospel creates the church. The church is a product of the gospel, not the originator of the gospel. This means that some in the church, my friends, will get it wrong. Did you hear that? And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be points in the history of Missio Day Church where we did and will get it wrong. We're going to miss it. That's why there's so many different denominations. It's not because the gospel is in confusion and the church can't agree. We're going to see in the next chapter that some of the pillars of the church themselves, the apostles who walked with Jesus, got it wrong. That, that, that gives me hope. Man, because I'm, I'm going to get some things wrong. If those guys who walked with Jesus got some stuff wrong and Paul had to come and correct them, and just say, dude, you missed it. Peter, you missed it. And Peter goes, oh, yes, you're right. Then there's hope for people like us. Over the past 2,000 years, the church has had lots of opportunities to get confused about the gospel. That's why you have seen the Reformation and a counter-Reformation. That's why you've seen all the different denominations because the desire is to get it right. And it's an, an aspiration to be faithful to the gospel. But there is this thing called the gospel. And the gospel is our plumb line that the church can use to bring us back into alignment with the gospel. Last week I said we need to focus on the cross. We start getting ourselves and we're finding ourselves drifting. What do we need to do? Focus on the cross. Get back to the gospel. That's what happens even in our vehicles. You know, all of a sudden you're going, man, my alignment is off. Why am I always veering this way? Why am I, I'm not doing anything here, but I'm finding myself drifting. What do you do? Well, some of us compensate and just say, I'm too cheap and I don't want to pay money, right? And the others of us go, I'm taking it into a mechanic and getting my alignment corrected. Because I want to drive straight. And that's what we need to do as a church. We need to continue bringing ourselves in alignment with the gospel. That's our job to bring our lives, our ministries, our churches back into alignment with the gospel that never, ever changes. So I got a couple implications from this this morning. First, it gives me a lot of confidence to know that the reason that we are here this morning is not because some cleverly crafted kind of thing created by the church thousands of years ago. And I remember years ago, even in ministry, my friends, having those moments wondering if I could believe the gospel or whether it's some fairy tale I really need to reject because it wasn't working at that moment. And it's unsettling to kind of wrestle with those questions. It's absolutely terrifying as a pastor to wrestle with those questions. Do I need to believe this or do I need to reject it? It feels like a fairy tale at this moment. 
It does me good to consider what Paul is saying in this passage, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ dying for sinners so that we can be saved is not a human invention. Nobody can make this stuff up. I love old hymns. Listen to this one lyric. How firm a foundation. Anybody know the next line? Ye saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Cling to that message. It's a message from God. Realize the duty that we are here to guard the good deposit of the gospel that has been entrusted to us. And that is why it's important to have officers of the church who are here to help guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us from Paul, from Jesus. We are here to guard this good deposit. But here's another implication. This morning, I want to urge you to respond to this message. You may have been wondering if this is something for you. I hope that you have wrestled with what we've talked about and see this message of Jesus Christ as not being an invention. It's good news that comes, friends, directly from God. And this good news demands a response. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in this message? Not what has just been handed down from your parents. No, this message. This message. It demands a response. Yes, Lord. I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ came and died in my place because the wrath of God was coming for me. And there was no other way out, but Lord, you provided a way. And the way is through the perfect God-man, fully God, fully man, who came in my place. He took all of my sin and all the wrath of God and gave me all of His righteousness. Therefore, because of His death and His resurrection, my life is sure. I now have life. I started off with the story of Frederica Matthews uh, Green who wanted to go into ministry, but one day decided that, man, it's preposterous, and I'm going to go into Hinduism. But let me give you the rest of her story. What ultimately led me out of Hinduism was a strange experience. Isn't that kind of how God works? I was with my husband on our honeymoon, hitchhiking around Europe. He was an atheist, who had been assigned in one of his classes to read a gospel. He kept saying, quote, there's something about Jesus. I've never encountered anyone like this before. I know he's speaking the truth. I'm an atheist. But if Jesus says there's a God, there must be a God. She goes on to write, it was a very scary experience for her because I didn't want him to be a Christian. He was not ready to make a full commitment to Christ at that point, but he was curious and wanted to study more. 
She began to feel her heart drawn to, to, toward Christ. She began reading her Bible. Gradually, they came closer to the point of placing her faith in the gospel she had chosen to reject so many years earlier. She goes to write this. Gradually, we were able to come into faith. It was several months later that a friend of ours asked, well, have you ever given your hearts to Jesus? Have you ever asked Jesus to be your Lord? She wrote, you have to picture that both of us grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, him Episcopalian, me Catholic, and our response was, quote, we're not Southern Baptists. <laughs> our association with that kind of talk is that you have to be Southern Baptist for Jesus to be your Lord. The man responded, actually, it's for everybody. And we said, well, you know we're in graduate school. And he responded, no, even for you. So the three of us knelt, the three of us knelt down together and prayed and asked for Jesus to be our Lord. Having no idea what that would mean, but wanting so much to find out. Friends, I would love nothing more for you to do the same thing. Whether you have been walking with Jesus your entire life, all that you can remember, or you're here this morning going, I don't know. I desire for you to come more fully into faith or to receive by faith this Jesus Christ who has died for you. Would you respond to this message? Let's pray.